John Eldridge says that the story of your life is the story of a long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could be and fears it. The story of your life is the story of a long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could be and fears it. And that's why we've turned our attention to this letter written by one of Jesus' little brothers, a guy named Jude, to first century Christians, a spiritual call to arms. And according to God's plan, it ended up in our Bible. It's the second last book of the Bible. And so it's not only a spiritual call to arms for first century Christians, but for 21st century Christians also. It's amazing when you think about it that the story of your life, the story of my life, is the story of a long and brutal assault on your heart by the devil, who knows what you could be and he fears it. Well, it's good to know. You know, 2 Corinthians 6 says this, we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. It's good to know because Jude writes in his letter, in his book, that you have everything you need to stand your ground. In other words, what he's calling us to do is to stand up and to say, this is my life and I will live it. This is my purpose and I will fulfill it. This is my story and I'm going to tell it. This is my difference and I'm going to make it. This is my sermon and I'm going to preach it. See, it really matters. The stakes are incredibly high. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. Listen to what he wrote. While women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry as they do now, I'll fight. While men go to prison, in and out, in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor lost girl upon the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight, I'll fight to the very end. You are irreplaceable. Your life really matters. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You're not where you are by chance. You were placed on this planet for a purpose. To live your life. To tell your story. To make your difference. You're irreplaceable. You're incredible. That's why it's such an honor for me to welcome you to Southside Church online. That's why it's such an honor for me to realize that you welcome me into your place, wherever that place might be, all over the world. Thank you. I believe that today you're going to be encouraged. You're going to be determined. And you're going to be inspired. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for everyone in the sound of my voice. For every man and every woman. For every boy and every girl. For every family. I pray that they would tell the story that they were created to tell. That they would live the life that they were created to live, that they would make the difference, fulfill the purpose, become the people that you created them to be. Father, I pray that you would give them strength, even in adversity, that you would give them strength, because I guess that's really the true test of strength. I pray for all of those who are struggling right now. I pray for all of those affected by this pandemic, physically, relationally, financially, in any way, Father, I pray that you would give them hope today. 
I thank you for the heroes. I thank you for the medical professionals, for the first responders, for the people working in care homes. And I thank you for the, the heroes that are maybe a little bit less obvious at this time, for the mom and dad at home with their kids, teaching them. And finding one more ounce of patience when it didn't seem like there was any more left. One more ounce of kindness when it seemed like they had run completely out. Father, I am so thankful for every single person joining us today. I'm thankful that it's no accident that you placed them on this planet at this time, at this moment, to be everything that you created us, each of us to be. Thank you, God. I pray this in your name. Amen. The story of your life is the story of a long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could be and fears it. And so as we turn our attention now to the 12th and 13 verses in this one chapter book of Jude, it's interesting because I believe that Jude kind of explains three ways that that long and brutal assault is going to play out. Let me read it for you. He says this, These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. I believe Jude expresses there three ways in which this long and brutal assault on your heart will play out. I believe the enemy of your heart, the devil, will, will, will tempt you to settle for small, to settle for scared, and to settle for defeated. I think that's the way it's going to play out in your life. That's the way it's going to play out in my life. We're not unaware of the devil's schemes. He's going to try to have you settle for small, settle for scared, and settle for defeated. Well, how is he going to have you settle for small? It, it, it says in the passage here in, in verse 12, uh, shepherds who feed only themselves. Well, that doesn't make sense, right? That doesn't make sense. Like shepherds by nature are there to feed the sheep. Like shepherds by definition, what a shepherd does is a shepherd puts their own comfort aside, their own concerns aside, their own safety even aside to bring care and protection and help to the sheep. But not these shepherds. These shepherds feed only themselves, and these shepherds are settling for small. And, and I wonder if you know that the Bible uses a shepherd to describe a leader, and you're a shepherd. You're a leader. There's someone, probably some ones, that are looking to you, that will be looking to you for care, protection, and help. But there's going to be a long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you can be and fears it. And that assault will happen this way. There's going to be a proclivity inside of you to think more along the lines of caring for, protecting, and helping yourself. And, and when you live that way, when, when you live to care, protect, and help yourself, you live a relatively small life. How small? Well, about the size of you. Smaller than you were meant to live. And Jesus' invitation to you and me today and every day is that we would live large. Jesus' invitation, in fact, is that if you want to find your life, lose yourself. He said, follow in my footsteps. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I love, I love the way Philippians 2 expresses it. It says this, If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, 
If his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever, so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Christ, Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. That's living large. But there's going to be a long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you can be and fears it. And you'll be continually tempted to live, to care for, protect, and help yourself. It'll start when you're single. See, when you're single, it's really easy to kind of miss the fact that there's people around you that are kind of depending on you. And so you can very quickly get into this mode where you live um, basically to care for, to protect, and help yourself. So I want to do an illustration here. And I needed help, and so I want to tell you the truth. I sort of almost uh, bribed slash forced Leah Weens to help me. So why don't we welcome Leah Weens to the stage if she helps me with this awesome illustration. Okay. So I don't know how many of you have been watching the Last Dance documentary on Netflix. If you haven't, you should. It's amazing. A 10-part series on the story of the, the last season of Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls. Okay, but I want you to imagine for a second that, that I kind of start to look at life as a Netflix documentary series, a 77-part series called The Life and Times of Michael J. Manis. Okay? And so I start to look that way, and, 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 and then what, what, what I do is I place people in roles in my series. Like, you can be a supporting actor, you can be like the little enemy that I just defeat very quickly. And for some of you, you get the great opportunity. You get to play background music to set an amazing tone for this series. It's going to be number one, The Life and Times of Michael J. Manis. That's good, right? Oh man, it's just living the life, right? And so I, so I start to look at people uh, based on their ability and their willingness to, to care and protect and help me. And, and if they're not like that, I might call them needy. But really what it is, it's about just that I, I, I judge people exclusively by their value to me. Okay, and then you get married. I want you to think about this for a second. What kind of person do you marry? Well, it's someone that you've spent time with, right? And remember who it was that you spent time with? You spent time with people who you've decided will care for, protect, and help you. Okay, so, so when you get married, you get married to a person and, and you've decided that really, you might not say this out loud, but you've decided 
this person is just great at their job. They're, they're, doing, they're playing background music. They're just, they're, just, they're just serving their purpose really well. They're caring for me. They're protecting me. They're helping me. But it won't take very long because why do you think your spouse married you? They had the same idea. They were spending time with you because they thought you would do a great job in caring for, protecting, and helping them. So eventually, that's not going to work. And, and at some point, you begin to look, and the background music, well, it's not background music anymore. What happens is that person actually thinks they have a role to play in this story called life. Do you understand? And so it's like, well, wait a minute. This isn't setting a tone anymore. This isn't what I was looking for at all. Don't you know what your job is? Your job is to care for, protect, and help me set a tone. Do your job. Okay, that's more like it, right? And so, so, so we might not say that out loud, but really that's what we're thinking. I've, I've just basically, what I've just done is I've summarized every marriage fight that you've ever had. That's really what you're saying. No matter what, else, what, you, what you're saying out loud, what you're really saying is do your job. Do your job. Okay, so now some we've, we've reached a level of peace and now we have kids. Okay, and you look at kids and you go, man, I've heard people say stuff like this, man. I just, I want to have a child so that I can just feel loved and supported. You know, I just, I just, I, I, I just want this kid to help me. Well, kids don't help you, man. They don't. They come out eating and going to the bathroom. That about summarizes everything. And it doesn't take very long with having kids because at some point you realize that they're not doing their job either. They're not playing background music. They're staying. What is going on? You understand? Like I had a good thing going here. I had this Netflix special called The Life and Times of Michael J. Manis. And then, and what's happening here? My kid, my kid is wrecking everything. Okay, this isn't your show. This isn't like Crazy Frog. This is the Michael J. Manis show, not the Crazy Frog show. You understand? Do your job. Thank you. Okay, so that's better. We're back to the life and times of Michael J. Manis. See, here's the crazy thing, though. Like, for some people, when you have, when you get married and you have kids, it, it makes your life larger you start to figure it out a little bit. That life's not really a movie about you after all. That it's about all of us. And it's beautiful. And we're all together. And look at her go. And it's okay for other people to shine. Leah's pretty good at piano, by the way. And I can celebrate that. But for some people, they never get it. They spend their whole lives looking around going, just do your job. Why can't you, why can't you just do your job? It's, it's, it's one job. Help me. And, and, and as they get married and as they have children, the resentment begins to build. And after a while, what they wish for more than anything else is they wish that they could just be alone. And unfortunately, quite often, they get their way. It's not just families either. It's life. See, when you start to live a small life, what, what happens is you begin to become more of a cynic than a servant. So you look around the world and you look at someone that maybe could use your help. 
And instead of being a servant and saying, man, how can I help? You become a cynic and you ask yourself, why is this your fault? Why, why, why are you in this predicament needing my help? It's probably your fault, so I shouldn't really even help you. And the great thing about living that way or the easy thing about living that way is everybody's imperfect. And so you're always going to be able to find something that they've done wrong. Years ago when I was youth pastor at Southside Church, our kids were going around uh, fundraising because we were going to go down to Vicente Guerrero, Mexico and build some houses for families who had lost their homes. And they went to one particular door and they told the guy everything that they were doing. And he looked at them and he said, poor people in Mexico? It's their own fault that they're poor. And you hear that story and maybe part of you says, that guy's an idiot. But that's really not a complete picture, is it? There's a long and brutal assault on his heart by the one who knows what he can be and fears it. And that guy's losing. That guy's living a really small little life. How small? Oh, about the size of just him. But God has bigger plans for you. He wants you to live large. Jesus said, if you want to find life, lose yourself. I love the way C.S. Lewis describes it in the screw tape letters. It's a really interesting book because the book is written from the perspective of our enemy, from a demon writing to another demon about how to go about with a long and brutal assault on your heart and on mine. It says this, when he, and he's talking about God here, talks of them losing themselves, he means only abandoning the clamor of self-will. Once they have done that, he really gives them back all their personality and boasts, I'm afraid sincerely, that when they are wholly his, they will be more themselves than ever. See, there's going to be something inside of you uh, pushing you to settle for small, but you're not going to. You're going to live large. And when I say live large, I don't mean you're going to live in a high rise with a jet ski. <laughs> I have no idea why I pick on living on a high rise with a jet ski. If you live in a high rise and you have a jet ski, I think that's fantastic. But, but that's not necessarily living large. Last Saturday night, I got a phone call from a young man who used to play in a basketball team that I coached. This was years ago, but we've stayed in touch over the years. And he called me last Saturday night to let me know that him and his wife had their second child, a son, and that everybody was healthy. I said, man, that's awesome. Thank you so much for letting me know. Thanks for telling me. And just as the phone call was about to end, he said, there's one thing I really need to ask you. I said, what's that? He said, we'd actually like to name our son after you. We'd like to give him the middle name Michael. Is that okay? I didn't really know what to say huge honor, you know, and so I was just like, yeah, yeah, that's awesome, thank you, and I got off the phone, and, and I just, I, I texted him. I said, I just want you to know how much this uh, means to me and how significant I, I think it is, and this is what he texted me back. He said, we didn't make the decision lightly. I'm glad it's meaningful. I will never stop voicing my appreciation for the impact and influence you have had on my life. It will echo on in time as my kids will have richer lives because of you, even if they never really know why. That's what living large is. It's a generational impact. 
See, the enemy's going to come at you and have, try to have you settle for small, but you're not going to. You're going to live large instead. And the second thing he's going to want you to do, he's going to want you to settle for scared. It says here in Jude verse 12, there are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted. Without fruit and uprooted. It's amazing how scared so many of us are in this culture. We're so scared to make a mistake. We're so scared to be incorrect. We're so scared to do something wrong. We're so scared to fail. And the heartbreaking thing for me is that it's probably worse than the church. I've heard someone say before that the church is the only institution in history that shoots its own wounded. In other words, when someone in a church, when someone who's a Christian stumbles or falls or fails, we're the quickest ones out there to, to jump on them and to attack them. And for that reason, often the church becomes so scared to mess up. Too many churches, too many Christians that just live their lives trying not to mess up. And their life becomes all about what they don't do, you know? Like here's how we work things around here. We don't, um, well, we don't smoke, I'll tell you that. We don't chew tobacco, right? We, we don't do that. Uh, we, don't, we don't get drunk. We don't get high. We don't speed. We don't beat people up. We don't swear, that's for sure. And it's kind of sad to me because the list that I just gave you, all, all we've done is we've brought ourselves up to a state of what? No, nothing. I haven't described any doing there, have I? Like, that's it. I'm going to go back to the screw tape letters for a second where he describes nothing and, and the powerful pull of nothing. In other words, living just not to mess up. Do you understand? Listen to this. Nothing is very strong. This is a demon talking about tempting us to live for nothing, okay? Nothing is very strong. It's strong enough to steal away a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in dreary flickering of the mind over it knows not what and knows not why. In the gratification of curiosity so feeble that the man is only half aware of them, in drumming of fingers and kicking of heels, in whistling tunes that he does not like, or in the long, dim labyrinth of reveries that have not even lust or ambition to give them a relish, but which once chance association has started them, the creature is too weak and fuddled to shake off. Our enemy wants you to settle for scared, wants me to settle for scared, so that you get to the end of your life and... Man, there's one thing I can say about Mike Manis. Man, uh, you know, I, I, I gotta say this about him. The best thing I can think to say about him is this. Uh, he, he didn't chew tobacco. I'll tell you that about him right now. That guy did not chew tobacco. And that's not actually even true. I have chewed tobacco once in grade 10 when I was working at a fast gas gas station on the North Hill of Red Deer. I was working all by myself one night and I took a big bunch of chewing tobacco, put it in my mouth and swallowed some of it inadvertently and promptly threw up over the parking lot. Okay, so I haven't chewed tobacco since then. But, but even if I hadn't ever, 
it's not a real lofty goal. You know what I mean? For, 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 for you to get to the end of your life, for, for the average church attender to get to the end of their life, for the average Christian to get to the end of their life, and for me to look at them and say, man, I gotta, I gotta tell you one thing uh, 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 about Maddie. Man, can I just share one thing about, about Kev with you? They never swore. No, I'm, I'm actually serious right now. That guy never swore. And I sometimes wonder in the North American church, if I could maybe encourage us just a little bit, man, I wish that you would, if you had to swear a little more so that you would dare a little bit more greatly, I think you should swear a little bit more. If that's what it's going to take to have us dare more greatly, get off of this, this, this pursuit of nothing. One of the quotes that I read a lot is by Teddy Roosevelt. He says this, it's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. Their credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again. Listen, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. You're irreplaceable. Like, we all lose if you don't play your part in the arena. I remember years ago when I was a teenager, my best buddy Grant and me, we used to, uh, every winter, way at the back of our acreage, we would build a big uh, ski jump. Okay, so we would pack up the snow together and we would put some water on it, freeze it, and then we would take turns with, uh, we take the snowmobile, one of us would drive the snowmobile, and then we'd put a water skiing rope off the snowmobile, and, and the other one would have skis on and just like pulling along. Okay, and then when we get to the jump, we would let go of the rope and try all these different jumps. And at first when we started doing it, we were real careful, but eventually we were just off the wall. And we had this little saying that we would say to each other. We would always say, man, if I'm not wiping out, I'm not getting better. Can I suggest something to you in life? If you're not wiping out, you're not getting better. If I told you that there was that one thing that you know in your heart that you need to try, if I told you that you would not fail, would you do it? If you would, you should do it. Because if you're not wiping out, you're not getting better. The enemy's going to come at you. He's going to try to have you settle for small, but not you. You're going to live large. And he's going to have you try to settle for scared, but not you. You know what you're going to do instead? You're going to understand that you fail forward. You fail forward. If you're not wiping out, you're not getting better. And the third thing the enemy is going to try to do is try to convince you to settle for defeated. To settle for defeated. Jude says it this way. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars. 
wandering storms, wandering stars. If I had to give you an emoji representation for living a defeated life, it would be this. It's just a shrug. See, because if the enemy can tempt you, can convince you to settle for small and then settle for scared, the next thing he'll do is he'll just have you settle for defeated. It's a shrug emoji. It's like you look at the world and you know that things could be better, but your question is always this. Your question is always this. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? I've been settling for small and settling for scared for so long. What am I supposed to do? And of course, there is an answer to that question. And I think you already know the answer. It's really, really simple. Here's the answer. You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to try. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to try. I'm supposed to try. See, I think somewhere along the line, we've lost our sense of anger. We look around the world at hurt, at hopelessness, at heartbreak, and I'm not sure if it makes us angry enough. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul wrote this, Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry. What makes you angry? When I was just a kid, there was this cartoon that would come in all the time called Popeye the Sailor Man. So there was Popeye the Sailor Man. He was a sailor man by trade. And he had a girlfriend. Her name was Olive Oil. Not much of a looker, to be honest, but Popeye liked her, which I guess is all that matters. And, and, and Popeye had this enemy, and the enemy was Bluto. And every episode basically went the same, okay? At, at the beginning of the episode, Bluto was just beating the stuffing out of Popeye, okay? It was always going really, really bad. But at some point, Bluto pushed it one step too far. Like perhaps olive oil was in danger. And Popeye looked and said, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And they opened up a can of spinach and he opened up a can on Bluto. And I wonder, when you look around this world that we live in, are there things that you look at that make you angry enough to say, that's all I can stand? I can't stand no more. And when that voice comes into your head that says, well, what are you supposed to do? You say, well, I don't really know. But I do know this. I can try. Like what makes you angry? Somewhere along the line as a church, we made a decision a few years ago that we were going to keep repeating over and over and over and over and over again. We are for this city. What are you here for? For this city. What are you going to do? We're going to try. And I honestly don't know where you are all over the world. But I know this about you. Wherever you are, whatever city, whatever town, whatever village you are placed in, you know what you're here for? You're here for that city. You're here for this moment. What are you supposed to do? Try. Somewhere along the line as a church, we decided that there's certain things that make us angry, like the fact that right here in our city, in your city, that there's little boys and little girls who are living their lives frightened and lonely and lost and hopeless. And see, for me, that's a, that's a problem. Like, that's an issue. 
That makes me angry. How angry? Angry enough to do something. Angry enough to try. Like the fact that right here in our city, right here in your city, wherever you are, that there's men and women who have come to the conclusion that no one loves them and no one ever will. That no one cares and no one ever will. That no one's with them and no one ever will be. See, that's, a, that's, that's an issue for me. That makes me angry. How angry? Angry enough to do something. Angry enough to try. The fact that there's families that wake up and they don't even know that they were created on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. They don't even know that it doesn't matter who you are or where, where you've been or what you've done. That God loves you right now. They don't even know that. See, that's an issue for me. That makes me angry. How angry? Well, angry enough to do something. Angry enough to try. There's families in our world that are just rolling through this cycle of sorrow that goes through the generations. Broken people, breaking people. Hurting people, hurting people. Neglected people, neglecting people. Forgotten people, forgetting people. Shattered people, shattering people. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. That's a problem for me. Like, I have an issue with that. That makes me angry. How angry? Well, angry enough to do something. Angry enough to try. See, I think somewhere along the line, we maybe lost our sense of anger a little bit in our world. What, what makes us angry anymore? You know, I went through the drive through and got my food and I looked in the bag and they forgot the fries. You know, it just made me so angry. You know, like, it's okay. You'd probably be okay without the fries, I think. Or, or, or someone on social media says something that I don't like. They disagree with my choice of politics or my choice of sports and now I'm angry. It's okay. It's probably going to be okay. I read a story back in 2019. A man walked into a Walmart in Florida. And something you got to know about this particular guy, um, his profile says that he has homes in Florida, New York, and Vermont. So I guess he does okay. Okay, so he walks into this Walmart and he has a coupon for a one-cent toothbrush. A one-cent toothbrush, okay? So he goes there and he finds that all of the toothbrushes that were being sold for one cent are gone. So he finds a toothbrush similar to that particular toothbrush. He takes it to the cashier. He shows his coupon. He says, I want this toothbrush for one cent. And this 17-year-old young woman, who was the cashier, runs it through, says, I'm sorry, sir, it's $1.79. There's nothing I can do to give it to you for a cent. He refuses to move, calls the police, and tries to get her arrested. I'm wondering whether we've lost our sense of anger. Like when we look around a world full of heartbreak and hurt, despair and darkness, I, I wonder if that makes us angry. 
How angry? Well, angry enough to do something. Angry enough to try. So that's why at Southside we do things like Food for Hope, where we be shopping for and delivering food to families of students that really depend on support from the school, and the school hasn't been meeting for 10 weeks. That's why we do things like the, the Frontline Initiative, where we just come along, we try to celebrate and cheer on the heroes during this time of pandemic. I let them know, like, we see you, we see you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's why we do things like the sunshine boxes, where we bring boxes with thousands of dollars of gift cards to families that are going through uh, critical illness. And we let them know, you know what? We, we know, we know we can't fix everything. But, but you know what? We wanted to do something. We wanted to try to let you know that you are not alone. That's why 12 years ago, we started a school in Haiti. One grade, 20 kids. And today there's 12 grades and over 600 kids in Haiti that get a lunch every day. They get a hot meal and an education to break that cycle of poverty. And I don't think we've even got started yet. Like, this is no way to live. This doesn't work for us. And I just keep wondering what would happen if there was this movement full of people, this church full of people that, that came to this conclusion. Hey, we don't, we don't know exactly what we're going to do, but one thing we know for sure is we will try. We will try. Oh man, I think if that happened, I'm sure that the best is yet to come. One last quote from the screw tape letters. It says this, the enemy, remember this is a demon writing this, so when he says the enemy, he's talking about God, okay? The enemy wants to bring the man to a state of mind, listen, in which he could design the best cathedral in the world and know it to be the best and rejoice in that fact without being any more or less or otherwise glad at having done it than he would have been if it had been done by somebody else. The enemy, that's God, wants him in the end to be so free from any bias in his own favor that he can rejoice in his own talents as frankly and gratefully as in his neighbor's talents or in a sunrise, an elephant or a waterfall. You know what that says to me? You're indispensable. We all lose if you don't step into the arena. So the enemy's going to come and he's going to try to have you settle for small. You're not going to. You're going to live large, way larger than just you. And he's going to try to get you to settle for scared, but you're not going to. You're going to fail forward. And finally, He's going to try to have you settle for defeated. Not you, not me. Instead, we're just going to try. Because I, I really believe, I know for sure, that when God's people come together and try, miracles happen. History changes. 
one life, one story at a time. So I want to just ask you, are you feeling a little bit small? Kind of like you've been clinging to your own life, but it hasn't really satisfied you. Are you feeling a little bit scared? Like there's things that you would love to be able to do in your life, but you just never have the courage to step out and do them. Are you feeling a little bit defeated where you're just starting to walk around with a shrug? I want to tell you about somebody. I want to tell you about Jesus. See, Jesus didn't settle for small. He stepped into human history. John 3.16 says it this way, For God so loved the world, the whole world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believed in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's living large. (laughs) That's living large. Anyone, anyone, no matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done, anyone who believes in him will be saved right now. And you know what? He didn't settle for scared. He laid down his life on a Roman cross. Why? So that you don't have to drag your sin, your shame, and your regrets around with you anymore. You can get past your past. And finally, he didn't settle for defeat. He defeated death. He rose again. And so I'll tell you this about you. Jesus rose for you so that you could have strength for today, hope for tomorrow, and the promise of eternity. You're irreplaceable. You're irreplaceable. And the first step that you take into the life that God has planned for you is a step of faith in Jesus. So I want to give you the chance to do that right now. I'm going to pray wherever you are, all over the world, right here in BC, wherever you are, can you just pray along with me? Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you didn't settle for small, but you stepped into history. And because of what you did, eternity was altered. God, and thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't settle for scared, but you went to the cross and you carried my shame and my regret and my sins. I pray that you would be my savior, that my sins would be forgiven right now. And thank you, Jesus, that you didn't settle for defeat, but you rose again. I pray that you would give me the strength to be everything that you created me to be, to make the difference I was created to make, to tell the story I was created to tell. I want to follow you one next step at a time. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that for the first time, I am stoked. That's amazing. It's amazing. And what I would love it if you could do right now is text the keyword life, L-I-F-E, to 604-670-3040, or you can put it right on the chat here, or you can go onto the Southside Life website and go to the message box called Southside Together. However you want to do it, let us know. Text that word life. We don't want to stalk you, but we really do want to support you. And before I close today, I'm going to give you three questions to think about. Okay? So if you're by yourself, you can think about these on your own. If you're sitting with other people, you can discuss them. Just three quick questions. Number one, am I living large? In other words, are there people in my life, am I looking around and asking myself, who can I care, protect, and help? And number two, am I failing forward? If I could guarantee you that you wouldn't fail, what is the one next thing you would do? And would you be willing to do it even if you might fail? And the third thing is, would you be willing to just try? 
can I give you one clear next step? Can you become a part of what we're doing at Southside Church? If you're not a part of the Southside Groups page on Facebook yet, could you join that today? So that we could encourage you, you could encourage others, they could encourage you. And, and, and the other thing that, that I'd love to invite you to do is, are you giving? <laughs> are you joining, are you partnering with us financially? Because I would love it if you could do that. When we look around the world <clears throat> and, and, and we see a world that desperately needs to know the love of Jesus, the help of Jesus, and the hope of Jesus, here's what we will not do. No, together we'll try. Together we'll do something. And together we'll see Jesus change this world one life, one story at a time. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.